You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Spiritualism, Madame Blavatsky, and Theosophy. This is Lecture 13, entitled Some Background to the Role of Madame Blavatsky, given in Berlin on March 28, 1916. I want to speak today of a deep historical impulse. As you know, spiritual forces, spiritual intentions, spiritual goals stand behind everything that happens in the universe. Spiritual science, for its part, helps us to see the spiritual processes that stand behind historical occurrences. Indeed, to understand history, we must not only know the material, historical facts, but be able to complete them by knowing the sort of facts I am going to present to you today. I will start by talking about a personality you all know, namely Madame Blavatsky. You all know that Madame Blavatsky was a particularly psychic person in a time when materialism was at the high point in outer life, and that she stood in a very special relationship to the spiritual movement of the second half of the nineteenth century. She was not a personality that one can designate in the ordinary sense as a medium, but she had, in the deepest sense, very pronounced psychic abilities. She was a psychic personality. If you want to understand this, you must realize the milieu from which she emerged. She came out of Russia. Now, in the Russian milieu, the spiritual and physical work together in a way that for us is not normal, but abnormal. To understand this, we must consider the special folk characteristics of the Russians and how they differ from those of Central and Western Europeans. The Central and Western Europeans are in a certain sense the continuation, and in another sense a new creative configuration, of the culture that proceeded out of the so-called Greco-Latin cultural epoch, the fourth post-Atlantean period. What had lived in the Greco-Latin cultural period continued especially in Central and Western Europe, because their physical bodies developed so that they could become instruments for thinking, feeling, and willing. What can be brought together through thinking, feeling, and willing, through the instrument of the physical body, emerged primarily in Western and Central Europe. However, the situation is different with the Slavic peoples in Eastern Europe, and in particular with the Russians. One can say that the way in which the physical body is mechanized, as it is in Western and Central Europe, cannot occur with the Russians, so long as this people retains its national quality. You cannot understand the Russians with Western European science. You can only understand them when you know that an etheric body exists. The precise characteristic of the Russian people consists in the fact that the most important activity of life does not enter into the physical body as it does in Western and Central Europe, but rather 
into the etheric body. Therefore, it does not permeate the physical body as much. Among the Russian people, the etheric body has a greater significance than it has for Western and Central Europeans, and above all, for Americans. A strong I cannot A strong eye cannot be developed within the Russian people, the folk, not the ruling classes, in the same sense that it can among Western and Central Europeans. The capital I is always veiled over by a kind of dreaminess. It has something of a dreamy nature in it. This is because the I, as it now lives in the fifth post-Atlantean period, is conditioned by a special development of the physical body. The Russian people are not yet far enough advanced for the direct building of the I as such. What lives and weaves in the etheric body should not imprint itself into the physical body as it does among the Russians. This means that what the Russian people are destined to bring to human evolution cannot at the present time, generally speaking, come to external manifestation. Helena Petrovna Blavatsky grew out of the Russian people, out of the Russian folk soul. From this it follows that in her case, as far as cognition, cognitive activity, is concerned, the etheric body is much more powerful than the physical. Hence, generally speaking, in Blavatsky, we have a personality who can experience much of her etheric body. This is naturally quite different from what one can experience by thinking and cognition with the aid of the brain. Because Blavatsky grew out of the Russian folk, she was able to experience an immense amount in her etheric body. Connected with this, however, is also the fact that she lacked certain qualities Western Europeans must have if they are to receive revelations from the spiritual world she lacked the possibility of thinking logically. If Western Europeans are to obtain proper revelations from the spiritual world, they must have this capacity. But Madame Blavatsky lacked precisely the capacity to logically group together her knowledge. On the other hand, precisely what permeated her etheric body, her etheric cognitive ability, helped her to receive significant revelations. In other words, precisely at the time when humankind was at the height of materialism, a personality stemming from Eastern Europe was present who still had a, in quotes, dose of Central Europe in her stream of heredity, her bloodstream. For Madame Blavatsky still had within her, although it was overpowered by the Eastern European element, that which among Central Europeans leads to a logical nature, and above all to acts of will, neither of which as a general rule the Russians as a people usually have. But what actually happened? First you know that we have books written by Blavatsky in English, English books. When we put these two extreme poles, Russian and English, together, we may say that what arose from her roots in her Russian nature, which came out of her etheric body, was taken hold of by the being of the English. Thus it appears that her books are worked out in English. However, the most important thing is what lies between her Russian nature and her English being.
to understand this, one must understand that through this English or British being, a certain kind of occult science penetrates extensively into Western Europe. As far as one can speak of English history, this was always the case. Throughout the whole evolution of its spiritual culture, Central Europe never had the slightest idea of how a kind of occult working always came from Britain and spread over Western Europe, Southern Europe, and so on. To know how things stand, then, one must at least begin to understand this British or British-tinged occultism. This occultism is absolutely present. What people know of as all sorts of high grades of Scottish Freemasonry and so on is actually only the external side of this occultism, this side shown to the world. However, comprehensive and working occult schools actually stand behind this external side. These are schools that have taken up the ancient occult traditions and the ancient occult stream to a much higher degree than is the case among similar groups in Central Europe. In Central Europe, however, we strive more and more to allow knowledge of the spiritual world to rise up out of our own spirituality. In the British tradition, they have preferred to lean on what has been traditionally handed down from the more ancient occult schools. In fact, going back to the beginning of the 17th century, we find particularly in England, Scotland and Ireland, less in Ireland but all over Scotland, such occult societies. In these societies, they continue to propagate ancient occult knowledge while transforming it in a certain way. To find the reason for this transformation, you must know that the fourth post-Atlantean Greco-Latin cultural epoch lasted until the beginning of the 15th century. The task of this epoch was to penetrate in a purely human spiritual way what was present as revelation in earlier epochs. Then came the fifth epoch, ours. This began with the beginning of the 15th century. Humanity was supposed to focus more upon the outer physical world. Human beings were not supposed to work out new concepts. All the concepts that we have today derive from the Greco-Latin epoch. No really new concepts have been developed since the 15th century. What we have are only ancient concepts applied in a new way to physical processes. Darwinism did not introduce a single new concept of evolution. It only applied older concepts to certain processes. Thus, not one single new concept has arisen. This period was supposed to direct its gaze on the outer physical plane, for which the British were especially prepared. They were especially adapted for this task because of the characteristics that developed in the British Isles. Now, at the beginning of the 15th century, a danger arose, a kind of confusion threatened to arise. The purely outer physical striving of the British, which was their task, threatened to become confused by a more spiritual striving that was fructified by knowledge arising from ancient times. This danger occurred when English dominion across the channel into France. It was averted and a real separation was effected from the spiritual world 
through the appearance of Joan of Arc, who precisely from the spiritual world itself was called to create order at the beginning of the 15th century. As I have said before, the whole outer evolution of Western Europe hangs on this appearance of Joan of Arc. At the time of Joan, then, a complete separation was made between the natures of the French and the British. British being originally arose from the invasion of the Angles and Saxons, who had their occult sagas of Hengist and Horsa. Now, at the time of Joan of Arc, this Anglo-Saxon layer was ruled by the Norman-Roman element and formed a lower caste. The particular British being that is now superior only gained the ascendancy since the 17th century, when the French element was still working, and the Anglo-Saxons were the lower layers, and the French spirit was the aristocratic spirit. This French spirit despised everything coming from the Angles and Saxons. For example, in the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries, there was a common expression used as a curse by the aristocracy who still lived in France, quote, God damn me if I become English, close quote. This curse was often heard. If you wished to be well regarded, you were not supposed to become English. However, all of this changed after the separation brought about through Joan of Arc. The English aspect then began to develop. There are many different processes involved here, and it would take too long to describe them completely. But deep spiritual forces were at work behind the wars of the Red and White Roses. The important thing to note is that at the beginning of the 17th century, a certain soul incarnated in the British Isles, who did not work outwardly in a very significant way, but worked nevertheless in a most stimulating way, This person incarnated in a British body in whom there was more French and Scottish blood and very little British blood. From this soul there actually came what gave the impulse in Britain not only for external spiritual life but also for occult life. Of course, there were also other factors, intermediate processes that also formed this occult spiritual life of the British. But, To describe these would cause us to go too far off our theme. I have told you that this British spiritual life was a continuation of the occult streams of the fourth post-Atlantean epoch. The British knew an immense amount precisely because physical bodies had the most significance. In British occult life, they knew the significance of the physical body. They made the etheric body least active and regarded the physical body as an instrument of all spiritual life. Because of this, in these occult schools, one could not experience very much from the spiritual world. However, the ancient traditions were preserved. The occult schools preserved what had been handed down of what ancient clairvoyance observed, and then they sought to permeate this with concepts. Thus an occult science arose that really worked only with the experiences passed on from what had been seen by clairvoyance in the previous post-Atlantean periods. In these schools they penetrated what originated in clairvoyance with purely physical concepts derived from thinking with the physical body. 
In this way, an actual occult science arose that covered all domains of life. It is particularly interesting to realize that in this chapter of occult science, facts about the destiny of the European peoples were actually taught in these British occult schools. This was a very important part of those occult schools. I will now try to characterize what was taught about the destiny of the European peoples. They said the following. There was a fourth post-Atlantean period. They had this from tradition. This fourth post-Atlantean period was filled with spiritual life. It created our conceptual world, how we perceive the social organization. This fourth post-Atlantean epoch unfolded in southern Europe on the Greek and Italian peninsulas and radiated out from there. During this time, the people of Central and Western Europe were in their infancy. I am telling you what was taught in these schools. The Central and Western Europeans were infants in spiritual life, infants in relation to what radiated out from Greece and Italy. Gradually, however, as they moved toward and through the Renaissance and the Reformation, the Central and Western Europeans worked themselves up out of their infancy. They became more and more mature. When I say Reformation, I do not mean the German Reformation, but the English Reformation under James I. The Central and Western Europeans were now able to separate themselves, and a quite definite dogma arose within the British occult schools, a dogma that was very strongly held. This was the dogma that, just as the Greco-Latin people were the leading people of the fourth post-Atlantean epoch, so now Anglo-Saxon culture would take the lead in the fifth post-Atlantean period. This was stressed repeatedly. Anglo-Saxon culture was to reign spiritually through the fifth post-Atlantean period. The teaching concerning human evolution and development embodied this dogma of the superiority of the Anglo-Saxon people as the leaders of the fifth post-Atlantean period. Today it is the East European peoples who are in the same condition in which the Central and Western Europeans were at the time of the Greco-Latin epoch. The Slavic people in Eastern Europe are now in their infancy, and the British occult schools realize that these Slavic peoples must develop out of their infancy just as the Central and Western Europeans did. And, just as the Greco-Romans were spiritually the wet nurse for Western and Central Europe, so, it is taught, must the Anglo-Saxon peoples be the wet nurse for the Eastern European peoples and lead them over to their mature spiritual period. They also taught that just as the Germanic peoples differentiated themselves into the Gothic and other tribes in the course of European history, so do the Slavic peoples also have to differentiate themselves. Therefore the British occult schools described how present forces point to certain future configurations. For example, they taught that in Russia itself there were a number of different communities. These could be grouped geographically, spatially, just as once different peoples were grouped in Central and Western Europe. 
But the people grouped together in Russia were, so to speak, artificially held together by a state bond. A people like the Poles were held together by their religion, and in spite of their attempts to become independent, the Poles, according to the British, had to be inserted into the being of Russia. In, quotes. in these schools, it was believed that whatever was Polish, Polish in quotes, being, was to be shoved into Russian in quotes, being. Moreover, they said that in the lower valley of the Danube, single Slavic peoples existed in isolated kingdoms. These schools further said the following, Independent Slavic folk states are forming. However, these will only last until the next great European war, which is going to bring everything into disorder. The independence of the Slavic states, therefore, will last only a while. In the future, the East European peoples who are now in their infant state will, therefore, be constituted differently. This was the teaching that was given. It was not just theory, but was practiced in these occult schools. Therefore, many people tried to influence outer reality so that it conformed to this dogma. People do not realize what enormous attempts these occult brothers in the British Isles, who had other groups in Western Europe and Italy, made. They knew what one person must do, what another must do, and how to work in life in order to achieve their aims. For example, there was an English statesman who became friendly with a certain statesman from a small state on the Danube that was part of Austria. They established a friendly arrangement, arranging things so that, for example, on the one side they became friends, while at the same time they put forth all sorts of criticism about this same small state. This is significant. You methodically develop friendship on the one hand to win a certain people over and on the other you begin to reveal the shadow side of this same people and attack them. This is a devilish thing, an aramonic trick you can use. One member of such a brotherhood would write a book that would cause a terrible movement, and another would write a book to develop friendship. That is how they work in between the lines. All this was done so that the British could become the ruling culture. Let us now consider how the personality of Blavatsky works in this occult brotherhood situation. These occult brothers have become aware of her. These aramonic occultists know very well when there is a person who is organized as H.P. Blavatsky was organized. All sorts of evolutionary forces happen. Here, then, we have Madame Blavatsky, in whom the etheric body is active in a special way, and they wanted to use her so that certain spiritual truths could emerge that would be favorable to their dogma of the superiority of the Anglo-Saxon people. Therefore, in the 1860s and the beginning of the 1870s, the tendency arose among these occult brothers of the West to use Madame Blavatsky to place spiritual truths before the world, of which one can say the following. Here is a person, H.P.B., whose ideas do not come out of an ordinary human brain, but rather out of an etheric body. Furthermore, elements of the future may be predicted from such an etheric body, a future that holds a foundation for the sixth post-Atlantean period. And, since the sixth post-Atlantean period has not yet arrived, they can then make certain preparations in the fifth. 
In the case of Blavatsky, who was not an ordinary medium, they could influence her mediumistic forces so that she would say that the British brother so that she could say what the British brotherhoods wanted. They themselves could not come before the world and say Britain shall be the rulers, but they could say, Look here, here is a person whom we are not influencing in any way, who brings something quite new out of her own etheric body, new knowledge. The goal was that this new knowledge should be placed in the service of the Anglo-Saxon brotherhoods. These brotherhoods related to HPB as if they were a sort of wet nurse and she were the infant. Their intention was to put into the world a new kind of occult science that would be appropriate to their own special aims. They would have succeeded in their intentions if Blavatsky had been a pure Russian. However, as I mentioned, she had a certain dose of Central Europe in her. She had an independent nature and very soon became aware of what lived in her etheric body. She did not want to go along with what these occult brotherhoods wanted. They wanted to develop her as a higher medium. She resisted. She developed many things in a good way. Then she entered a high order in Paris. This Parisian order, however, was dependent on the British occult streams that tried to prepare her so that what they wanted would come out of her soul. But as I said, she had much of the Germanic element in her and insisted on certain conditions that were impossible to fulfill. As a consequence, she was excluded from this order. In the meantime, she assimilated many deep secrets present in these orders. Indeed, she began to acquire a very special taste for the whole role. She wanted to play the leading occult role herself. She wanted to direct the thing herself. Then she entered an American order, where they told her many secrets given only to those in high grades. This American order had a very definite intention, and in time she received into her consciousness a great deal of knowledge. Therefore a whole new situation was created. Here was a personality who knew much of the occult knowledge the secret orders had preserved and protected. It was a situation that had never occurred before. In America she tried again to establish certain conditions the American order could not agree to, because if they had done so, terrible confusion would have come about. Therefore, through very dubious means, they put her in what is called occult imprisonment. One does this through ceremonial magic in which the soul you are imprisoning can have ideas that go to a certain sphere and then are reflected back. The person can see everything that happens in them, but cannot share it with the external world. A person's spiritual life works only within itself. It is therefore an occult imprisonment. The particular ceremonial magic leading to occult imprisonment was done to try to render H. P. Blavatsky harmless. In 1879 there was an association of occultists of various lands and it was decided that an occult imprisonment was to be placed over Madame Blavatsky. Thereafter she lived for a number of years in real occult imprisonment. It then so happened that Indian occultists freed her from this occult imprisonment. Thus the time when Blavatsky falls under Indian influence now began. All that I have told you up to now, however, is only a kind of prehistory of Madame Blavatsky. We now come to the development that everyone knows about. 
all of the difficulties and problems that Blavatsky had are connected with this prehistory. Certain Indian occultists who strove to save themselves from the British applied certain means to release her from her occult imprisonment. This was actually done with the consent of those who had put her into the imprisonment. Consequently, what streamed into her soul was connected only with Indian occultism. All of this happened because of the British brotherhoods, who completely rejected what was appropriate for Central Europe. These brotherhoods tried to use Madame Blavatsky for their political objectives, but in Paris and America she objected. Her own Russianness objected to making the Russians dependent upon Western Europe and America. When she was in Paris she made a special demand that could not be met because it would have necessitated a political transformation in France. In America she herself did not put forth the demand. She allied herself with Colonel Alcott, who was interested in all sorts of political machinations. These people originally wanted to guide her into a certain channel. They failed because she was released from this channel and went into a different channel, where the Mahatma, the Master, was not who Blavatsky thought he was. You can see in the well-known novel of George Sand how in occult societies and particular movements in Western Europe people have a hidden role and are not externally visible. I mentioned all these things in the public lecture on Friday, all the occult streams that produce conspirators, resulting in the assassination of Jura, also the murder of Franz Ferdinand. Here you have the whole source of the conspiracy of which the outside world knows very little. It begins in London, spins over into the rest of Europe, then goes into southern Europe, the Balkans, and finally to St. Petersburg. There it plays into the whole circle. I tell you all this because one must know that much of what is happening is produced by causes one knows nothing about. Our society has a special task of freeing itself from the influence of these Western European brotherhoods. For example, remember how I was attacked in 1909, how I was accused of wanting to become president of the whole Theosophical Society, of wanting to go to India in order to influence certain political activities. On the one side you have the Berlin-Baghdad Railway, and on the other side, Anthroposophy. I was trying to work for the pan-Germanic tendency to separate India from England. In 1909, in Budapest, Mrs. Besant's intention was to make Krishnamurti the bearer of the Christ. I was to have been the reincarnated St. John the Evangelist, to get my recognition. I would not go along with that sort of thing. Many other theosophists, too, were against all this. In fact, the International Society of Honest People was formed. It included really noble people like Mr. Kitely, whom Mrs. Besant used earlier to correct the mistakes in her books. This International Society asked me to become its president. In 1909, I told Mrs. Besant that I did not want to connect myself with any other occult movements. I wished to connect myself only with what is at work in German culture in Europe. At that time I asked her what she thought about the great movement of German occultism that had appeared at the end of the 18th and the beginning of the 19th century. This is what she said, quote, Ah, what appeared in Germany was an unsuccessful attempt in occultism that took other forms, and because that failed, 
England must now take the situation in hand and occultism must be brought to Europe from England. Close quote. Now you can see how the situation stands. I tell you all these things because as, situa- as students of esoteric wisdom you need to know them. Ellipsis, end of lecture 13.